Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Four words for you today. Actually, I'm not going to start with those four words, but instead, Russell Wilson will start with those four words. Broncos country, let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. All right, so on the one hand, as corny as that clip may have been, you know Bronco fans are playing that corn on a loop right about now. Broncos country, let's ride. You know why? Broncos country, let's ride. Because earlier this morning, Wilson and the team agreed to a five-year contract extension worth a reported 245 mil with 165 mil guaranteed. Bank account, let's ride. Let's ride. Accountant, let's ride. Let's ride. Financial planner, let's ride. Let's ride. Corny as hell, but rich as hell. As always, the reported money and the reported guaranteed money in particular are not necessarily what they appear. We know this. But either way, we are talking about stacks and stacks and stacks. And that five-year extension means that Wilson is scheduled to be, well, no, check that, scheduled. Ah, you weren't ready for that, were you, Alvy? He is scheduled to be with the Broncos for the next seven seasons. That means Denver just signed up for a lot of winning and potentially a lot of strange bedroom voice videos. Hey, Seattle. We got a deal. Hey, Denver. Let's ride. Let's ride. I'm going to see y'all in the morning. Go Broncos. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's go to a baseball game and have sex in the stands. Let's ride. Let's do whatever the hell we want because I got a lot of money. Let's ride. Let's ride. You know how corny you think I am now. That's what I thought. Let's ride. Let's ride. You know what I like? I like winning, and I like corn on the cob. You know why? I'm corny, but I'm rich, and I'm a damn good player. Let's ride. Corny, tell me how my corn tastes. Tastes roasted. Anyway, anyway, what I'm talking about here, who the hell knows what I'm talking about here? The fact that Russ signed a massive extension in Denver is no surprise. Nor is it a surprise that they locked him up before he even played a game. You don't need to see this guy in a Broncos uniform to know how good he is. Especially given what we have seen in a Broncos uniform of late. Lest we forget, this is who Denver has run out there for you Bronco fans the last few years. Brock Osweiler. Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler again, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippin, that wide receiver, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke again. You go through that string of has-beens and never-wers, and I'm surprised that they didn't just hand Russ a blank check and tell him, fill it out yourself, Russ. As many zeros as you want, Russ. We got a deal. We do have a deal. Something else, you don't give up what they gave up to get him. You don't give up five picks, including two firsts, 
and two seconds to get Russ and then let him explore a free agent market after his current contract. And you do not suffer through the quarterbacks that they have suffered through since Pinky the Duck Slinger left. And then let a guy like Russ potentially walk. You know, and as always, one of the con or one of the questions when you have a contract like that is, what does it mean for the quarterback? What does it mean for the Broncos? And the answer is honestly, not a hell of a lot. Not a lot or not a hell of a lot. Because in a guy like that, you don't need to worry about what you're going to get in terms of preparation and play itself. You know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get from Russ. What you now know also is that he's going to be there and he's going to be there for a long time. He doesn't have to live up to this. He already has. Yes, it is a lot of money. Yes, it's a lot of guaranteed money. But I've got no problem with it. And I've got no problem with the team making the commitment to him for as long as they did. Because you know that that money and those expectations and that pressure are not going to change this dude. We know who and what he is. He knows they brought him in, not just to get to the Super Bowl, but to win a Super Bowl and maybe more than one. That was the goal from the very day they brought him in. The contract does not change that. That to me is key. The contract does not change the guy or the expectation or the pressure. It just gives him more time to get it done. So they were always going to sign him to a big deal. The only question was, how big was it going to be? And the answer is, pretty damn big. Pretty damn big, but to me what's really important here is still not nearly as big as Deshaun Watson's deal. Well, of course. If anything, the Broncos got off easy on this one. And if anything, the Browns look even dumber right now than they did when they first signed the unapologetic sexual harasser to that massive guaranteed contract. That deal that the Browns gave Deshaun Watson was outlandish at that time, and it gets more deranged with every passing day. We're talking about Russell Wilson, a nine-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champ, a guy who has 113 regular season and postseason wins in his first 10 years, the most in league history. Whether you love this guy or you hate this guy, whether you think this guy is cool or corny as hell, he has not been accused by two dozen women of sexual harassment or assault. And he just signed a contract with $65 million less in guaranteed money than the guy who was those other things, is those other things. $65 million less guaranteed. And for all we know, Wilson's $165 mil may not be guaranteed. Maybe not all of it. But in Watson's case, we know it is. All of it is guaranteed. Every penny. And not only is it guaranteed, but it's structured so that he won't lose much money this year when he's suspended for 11 games for his predatory behavior. Hell, they probably gave this guy a couple of bonus mil after that disastrous press conference a few weeks back. You know, another way of looking at this, Russell Wilson had a ton of leverage. A ton of leverage in his contract negotiations with the Broncos, given what he's done in the past and what they gave up to get him and what he means to the organization, and he still didn't get anywhere near the guaranteed money that Deshaun Watson did which to me is like the most insane thing ever. 
I will never get over that. I'll never be able to wrap my head around that. Somehow Watson, who was facing dozens of lawsuits at that time, had the hammer in the negotiation with the Browns. Either that or the Browns grabbed the hammer and decided to beat themselves over the head with it repeatedly. That's what we're going to do. If you look at the list of quarterback contracts by guaranteed money, you've got guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. They're all clustered between 141 mil and the mid-160s. And then you've got Deshaun Watson at 230 mil, guaranteed. In other words, he is secretariating the field. If secretariat had been accused by predatory or accused of predatory behavior by dozens of therapists. And sure, it seems like any quarterback since then who's gone looking into negotiations, looking for a Watson deal, has been laughed out the room. You know, they're pretty much being told. Like, agents and players want to point to that as, hey, yeah, that, that money, that's the precedent. That's the standard. That's the bar. Except that's not what's happening. They're pretty much being told, no, 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 no. That's not a precedent. That is stupidity. That is Cleveland being stupid as hell, and the other 31 teams aren't doing that. And do not confuse that with collusion. That's everybody else saying, we would never do something that stupid. In other words, you cannot use that as a precedent. That's not a precedent. That is stupidity. And you cannot use it in your negotiation because we're not that dumb. And neither is anybody else or any of the other teams. That's what we're going to do. $65 million less. For a guy who's accomplished so much more, who's never been accused of anything like that. Joe Smith. Wild. If he was Cleveland Joe looks Smith. dumber by the minute. Hey, in Denver. Cool, corny, whatever you want to call it. Let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. It's corny. He's good, though. Corny. Great player. Great leader. Tremendous work ethic. And will not be affected by the money, the expectations, or the pressure. And they gave up a hell of a lot to get him. And given the scrubs they've run through there, they don't have to worry about anything for a long time except keeping this guy healthy. One more time. Broncos country, let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. Broncos country, I'll take your telephone calls. How you feeling now? Broncos country. It's got to feel good. It's got to feel good to know you've got that kind of corn under center. We got a deal. None of those other losers are coming around. Let's ride. You got yourself a Hall of Famer. Let's and he's ride. committed. And that's a lot of money. And a lot of corn on the cob. I'll tell you what, they might be Super Bowl worthy. They just might be. Got a good defense. Got a good roster. Now you've got a man who... Well, he likes corn. Let's rock. And he likes money. But he likes to complete passes and get out of the pocket and make something happen. Let's rock. The kind of guy that can walk in and change the culture of the place. I like it. We got a deal. Yeah, you do. So not surprising, buddy. Good day for them. 1-800-636-8686. A good day for them. And to me, Cleveland looks dumber and dumber and dumber. Have fun with that. So do you own or run a small business? It has been tough the past couple of years, right? But you may qualify for a tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. 
it's not a loan like the PPP was, but an actual refund of your payroll taxes. Omega Accounting Solutions is helping small business owners like you in applying for and getting this tax refund for your business. The tax credit is part of the federal government plan called the Employee Retention Credit Program, or ERC. In the last six months alone, Omega has recovered over $300 million in cash ERC refunds for businesses. Remember, this is not a loan, but a refund on your payroll taxes. Omega Accounting Solutions helps businesses nationwide. If you have more than five, but less than 500 employees, they are likely able to help you as well. A better business bureau partner and a champion for small business. Omega has 15 years of accounting experience, so find out if you qualify today. This program is available for only a short period of time, so call toll-free 800 704 704 Everything to gain by determining if you qualify. That is OmegaTaxCredits.com. Ruffin McNeil is my guest. Ruffin, it is so good to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. It's great to hear from you. Good, good to hear your voice, brother. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's so great to hear you, too. You know, it's been a few years since you and I last spoke, so it's great to have you back on and to get caught up on a few things both on and off the field. In fact, Ruffin, what are things like right now? How's your life? How are things? You know what? I, I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm still involved, Jim, and you know how you've been doing. We both have been doing a, something that I call it you get to, got to. We get to do it, and uh, we get to come to work every day. And I'm very fortunate to have that part, uh, working with great people, great kids, great young men. Um, uh, it's been a great help for me uh, personally. And uh, I, I think I'm able to add something to the program and Coach Dorn and, you know, all of that group who's been fantastic. But, you know, my dad is, you know, I think that's been uh, documented. You know, I came, I left Oklahoma with, to take care of my dad, who was my coach and, uh, you know, took great leader for us, my brother and I, along with, with my mom. And uh, so I'm back home now in North Carolina taking care of him and, uh, with my wife, Erlene, and uh, my brother, Reginald, as well, and his wife. We take turns that way. But uh, he's uh, it's, it's been a, a tough duty, but it's been a, one that I feel like is my duty. And it's my time to be a son is what I've always stated it as, Jim. I think that's beautiful. Ruffin McNeil is joining us. I think that's beautiful. And I think, to your point, it, the story is well documented. But I think there are people listening right now that don't know exactly what we're talking about. And I want to get into this. Your father, Ruffin McNeil Sr., was a running back at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte. He served as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne. He was a teacher. He coached both football and basketball. So what was it like growing up as his son? Oh, it's tough. <laughs> right. You know, but there were no rules. Uh, but it was great at the same time. Uh, it was, I think it prepared me, Jim, to go play for Pat Dye at that time, who had just left Ben Bryant's staff. Uh, and uh, it prepared me very well to play for another hard-nosed coach uh, who would push you to a limit that you co- couldn't go to by yourself. Uh, but also uh, my dad and both my mom were educators. And my dad you know, graduated from high school at 14. Uh, finished John C. Smith at 18, 19. And, you know, so not only was the athletic, it was, I, I call it in the genius category, you know, as far as that goes. And he wouldn't say anything about that, but I would. And, 
you know, he was, uh, he taught me a lot about balance, Jim. I was just thinking about when I went, to, I saw him this past weekend, Dave gave us all, and he taught me a lot about balance in life, you know, keeping things in balance. And I, I never forgot that. So I made sure I'm always, uh, we have work, but also have home. And I think that's the balance he talked about as well as other things. But, you know, then the next thing, Jim, I share and uh, is he always said, enjoy the great moments. Don't worry about bad times. They're coming. But if you ever think about any bad time you've ever had, it's always worked its way out. And you think about that, and it makes sense. And he told me that a long time ago. And uh, so I enjoy each day. And uh, I know if anything tough happens, I know it'll work out eventually. But he's been a uh, not just a, my, my dad, but a mentor and a coach. And, and he taught me, taught me toughness and taught me perseverance, uh, uh, see things through. Such amazing and powerful messages. Ruffin McNeil is joining us. One more thought about that. And just to echo what you just said, you played your high school ball at Lumberton High. You earned a scholarship to East Carolina. The story goes, though, that you were in three-a-days at East Carolina. You were not getting any reps. And after five days, you told your dad you were coming home. What were those three-a-days like? And then how did that conversation with your father go, Ruffin? Well, Jim, you know, you keep, you've been a part of all sports and at that time, there were no rules. Uh, it was three or days. Uh, it, they were. I was a 17 strong safety at that time, seven, and I know teams that uh, went that high, but I never got a rep. And they were running us, and it was they really got after us. Coach Dye was again, like I mentioned, old school. Left Bear Bryant staff, Alabama, and I think he's. I know he's kind of was his first head job at that time before he went to Auburn, and God, they were hard. And I wasn't getting a rep and getting my hind parts chewed pretty good by the coaches. And I called home and I said, "Hey, Dad, you know my mom was another line." I said, "Dad, I'm 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 I'm, I'm think I've given it a great shot and I think I'm gonna turn it in quick." And his, without hesitation, he says, "Where are you gonna live?" <laughs> wow. I said, "I'm gonna live at home." Wow. He says, if you quit, you're not living here. You can find somewhere else. But if you quit, you never you never can live here again. And he was as serious, and my mom didn't say a word. Jim did not say one word. So I go, well, I'm going to stick it out. So just what happens, we had a chance to go to pads, and I had a chance to be like I'd never gotten a rep. So finally I got a repetition as the scout team running back for the receiver, the DBs. And I had my size at that time, and I did a pretty good job running over the All-American defensive back there. Well, I saw the guys hit me on my back like I did something wrong, but they were really cheering for me. So I got an opportunity, and that same year I went from 17 to 13 as a freshman, and then I started the next three years. But that that moment taught me you never quit, never give up, never surrender. Perseverance is always the key, and to see things through. I think that is such an amazing story when he said to you where, and you know, my father, it, it, it was a different time, right? Like, but it was a different time. For your father to say, okay, that's fine, that's great, but where yeah. are you going to live? And you said, what do you mean where I'm going to live? I'm going to live at home. I no, did. you're not. And your mom didn't say anything rough. And let me, I want, we could talk about your dad, and I want to talk more about your dad, but what about your mom, Bonnie? What kind of an influence did Bonnie have on you, and what was she like? She was my heartbeat, uh, my rock of Gibraltar. She was my everything, you know, 
first love. You know, you know how I'm the first son. I'm a mama's boy, no doubt about it. And she was as strong-willed as any person I've seen. She did so much in the community. My service uh, habits, Jim, she taught us from the great Shirley Chisholm to give back and to serve. And she taught us this quote very early was, service is the rent you pay for the privilege to live on the face of this earth. And she did that service. Not only did she tell us about it, we saw her serve our community, serve the church. She taught second grade for 30 plus years. Everybody knew Miss Bonnie, and uh, she's my heartbeat. And uh, man, it was, uh, I was at Texas Tech for working with Coach Leach, and uh, we talked every day. And uh, it was a Wednesday, and I, my nickname is Tuffy. My, I'm, I'm a junior, of course. My dad's senior, I'm junior. And my nickname is Tuffy, so they wouldn't get us mixed up. You go to Lumber to my hometown, Jim, and ask for Ruffin, you get my dad. You got to ask for Tuffy to get me, right? So I called home that Wednesday night. We're in two days at Tech. And I told, as always, I said, I see you, Mom, Mama. said, I love you, Tuffy. I love you too, Mama. And then I hung up. The next day between practices, I saw the defensive staff come in the locker room. And, you know, I'm always a jokester, as you can tell already. I'm always trying to get certain things up and, they came in as a group, and Erlene, my wife, had called them and to let them tell me about my mom. So, oh, oh, just like that, we lost her heart attack, and, man, that was devastating. And I'm in Texas and uh, at the time and have to get back home to North Carolina to go through all that. And But she was uh, the rock of the family, and uh, uh, I, I think about her a lot. And I didn't lose her. I gained her. I, I really believe that. I gained an angel, and that's how I look at it. And I, I tell a lot of people that when they go through tragedy, Jim, is you didn't lose them. They say, well, I, I gained her. I gained an angel. So uh, that was a tough time. But both gave me that balance, Jim. Remember I talked about earlier? My mom and dad both gave me balance. So I appreciate that from both. So you're hanging out with some friends. You're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you got this. You live nearby. You can make it home just fine. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Ruffin, I got chills hearing that, that I did not lose her, but I gained her. I gained an angel. Ruffin McNeil is my guest. So when we talk about that balance, of course, and I'm jumping around a little bit because your football life is so storied and there's so much to it, but you and Lincoln Riley had a lot of success at Oklahoma. You went to the college football playoff all three years that you were together, and then Ruffin, in January of 2020, you decided to step away from coaching 
for this very thing that we're talking about. You want to return to North Carolina and help your brother care for your father, knowing how much you love this game, knowing how much you love working with young people, but also knowing the balance that we're talking about. What was that decision-making process like for you? It, it was one of the most challenging times uh, of my life uh, at that time. And because I've I known Lincoln when he and Caitlin were just dating at 19 years old back at Texas State. And then, uh, you know, I had gave him opportunity when I got the head job to come work with me and knowing, knowing he would be move on very quickly, but he didn't. Jim, there's some things people know about Lincoln that I'm just learning right quick. Sure. Was that Lincoln turned down five jobs that paid him four and five times more than I could pay him just to stay. And that, you know, in this business, that's called loyalty. Loyalty. Uh, Loyalty and, and, and belief and, and verification of trust. So when he got the head job at Oklahoma, he had called and we had talked, and I didn't quite sure if I was ready to take it or not yet because my dad had just had his episode. Uh, but when I made the decision at Oklahoma, it was a great decision to work with Lincoln. And another, we just changed chairs where he was boss, and that was funny. So I got a chance to call him boss. and uh, But I was got a chance to be with him and, and watch him take over in his first opportunity and do a great job leading young men. And, and uh, we had great success there as well. And, um, but it was hard leaving him, Jim, I'll be honest with you, because the love that Erlene and I have for him and Caitlin and Sloan and Stella, the girls, and well, they're not girls. We talked the other day, and they're people now. These girls are not girls now. They're people. And they've grown so much. But that love we have is uh, unconditional. And... Um, when he, when he made the move to come out to Southern Cal, uh, our love followed him there and is still there with him and with Caitlin and with the girls and with that staff. So it was hard leaving him, Jim. It really was. But he understood because he knew my dad. When we went to East Carolina, my dad would come to games. So all my family, they know Lincoln and Caitlin. So he knew my dad personally. So he knew what I, how tight and how family-oriented I am. And my, one of my ethos is family first, last, and always. So Lincoln knows that, and he was tough, but it was uh, emotional for both of us. But he was behind me, Jim, when I had to make the decision. Ruff, and I would imagine that it, it may sound naive on my part, but I think that you and I been around a little bit now. It's yeah, These bonds are real. They're bigger than anything else, yeah. and they're so rare, yeah. and they're so unique. I understand. You know, I could talk to you for hours and hours. Before I let you go, I do want to say, after it became public that you were leaving Oklahoma, NC State head coach Dave Dorn reached out to you. The two of you also go back to the late 90s when you were at Fresno State. He was at USC. How would you describe yeah. that relationship, and then what did it mean to you that he would reach out and want to talk to you about being a special assistant? Jim, this will be like you talked about. I know we're out of time. When I got when things happened in East Carolina in, in in 2015, when everything happened there, it was a tough day. It was on a Friday, December third, as a matter of fact, at 11:30. I, I found out the news there. The first person I called I got Jim. The first person was Dave Doran. The very first phone call, not second, third. When when I from the first challenging position in my life, challenging time in my life. So then now the Oklahoma, right back to the Oklahoma, when that happened and it came, came public, Dave Dorn, same, first thing, first call. And you know what? It was just rough. How you doing? What do you and early need? How can I help? 
And uh, the job, it wasn't about a job or anything like that. But Jeremy's first questions were, hey, are you good? What do you need? How can I help? How can Sarah and I help? And so we knew we would come back home. We had already bought a home here. And, and Dave said, hey, look, let's get this position here with him as a special assistant. And it's been fantastic. You know, it's working for another great friend like with Lincoln. So, and then the coaches on the staff, Dave, because we – it's with, with Dave, and, uh, got, I've known those guys, Jim. The, the, every every staff member, either played against them at different schools or know them. And uh, so Dave's been fantastic. And, uh, again, those two challenging times in my life, Dave Dorn was the first one to call. So let me finally ask you this, Ruffin. NC State is going to open up against East Carolina. Of course, your alma mater, the place where you coached, the place where you're in the Hall of Fame. And although you didn't come right out and say it, things did not end well there. Riley was devastated because they, in fact, he would tell you they ruined something special. What kind of emotions do you think you're going to feel going into Saturday's game, knowing everything you know and everything you've experienced? Well, being a coach's kid, the first thing going back to my dad's teacher, Jim, was the competitive spirit. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to uh, – I know it's going to be a competitive battle. I know that for a fact. I don't know what the experience would be like going in to this arena because I played there at 17 years old then and through my whole career and then coached there. I've never been in the visitor's locker room one second. I've never been on the visitor's side one second. So wow. I'm sort of up in limbo a little bit, but I'm looking forward to it. It's an amazing statement. Ruffin, I'm, I'm so glad that you and I could get caught up. We should have done it sooner. I'm glad we did it. I wish we had even more time, but I can't say how much I appreciate you, and I appreciate that conversation, Ruffin. So good to hear your voice, and it's very easy to see why you are so well-loved and well-respected. Good luck this weekend. I know it's going to be an emotional one, and so good to have you back on the show and spend time. Jim, it's an honor always, man. We just, as a, as a, a follower and, uh, and knowing what you've done and all the accomplishments, and, and, and I call you a life changer, a game changer. You've been a game changer and a life changer in this business. Keep on doing what you're doing. If you ever need me, just call immediate. I, I call you back immediately. Anything you need, I mean that too. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Like, I don't even know that was possible. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use. I mean, the product is pretty amazing. All of that, and especially, especially good when you're on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray continues. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. And it goes without saying, you better be moisturizing. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. And did I say, you had best be moisturizing? I do. You should. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry. Clean feel. All day. Kevin Harvick is my guest. Kevin, great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to have you. So this weekend marks the start of the round of 16, Kevin, in the playoffs. From a driver's perspective, how much does that change your approach now that the playoffs are going to get underway? In other words, would you still approach every single race the same way, or do you dial it up and you feel even more pressure? 
you know, I think I think for for us, we've uh, we've been fortunate to be in this position before, and and I think you know a long time ago established that you have to play off race every week, so that this is not a surprise. And I think going into this, uh, starting at Darlington, I think um, you know that it's it's a it's a racetrack that is difficult just to make laps by yourself, and and putting all the rest of the cars out there just makes it even more difficult. So you do still have to race the racetrack, as they say, and, and try not to make any mistakes and, and do the things that you would normally do at Darlington and, and see where it all falls. So it's too hard, Jim. I'm, I'm getting too old to, to come up with uh, new strategies as I go from, from one week to the next. I can't, I can't remember what I did last week, so I just have to prepare the same every week to keep it the same. You know, Kevin, it's kind of funny you say that, and on the one hand, it is kind of funny, but on the other hand, there's something to it, and you said something recently that really, really resonated with me, and by resonated, I mean, you kind of hit me right between the eyes with it. You said, quote, you want to do everything that you can to try to take as much as you can every single week that you're at the racetrack, because at some point, there won't be a next week. It'll be what you used to do, and you want to give it all, or your all while you can, end of quote. I I think there's incredible wisdom in that knowing what you know now and that that's your perspective how has that changed your experience and how much do you how much more do you get out of everything you do as you get ready week to week knowing that well I'm not smart enough to come up with something like that on my own so you know I had a I had a great wrestling coach in 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 high school and and he reminded us that you only get you only get so many shots at at giving it everything that you have and and you don't want to be able to get up and and walk out of high school and graduate and, and look back on it and say you know what I probably could have ran a little bit harder there or I could have, you know, suffered a little bit more there and, and gave it a little bit more there and won a couple more matches. And, and you know, in, in the end, you don't want to be able to, to look back on something and say, man, if I would have just prepared myself a little bit more, um, because at some point you're, you're going to run out of opportunities. So we, we try to, you know, take that, that mindset and, and prepare ourselves the, the best that we can every week, because this is a, you know, this is a privilege uh, to, to go out and, and do what we do. And, um, you know, you could you could have to go to work every day and, and do something that you might might not enjoy as much uh, that you definitely wouldn't enjoy as much uh, on a day to day basis. And, and so I feel fortunate about where we are and, and we try to take advantage of that on a, on a daily basis to be as prepared as, as possible as, as we can every week. I like that very much. Kevin Harvick is joining us. Listen, I know you're focused on what's ahead of you, but that win at Richmond was your 60th Career Cup Series win. It's a massive number. It puts you ninth all time. Yeah, I know you're looking ahead, but if you took a moment to think about that, what does that number represent to you? Oh, well, you know, I think I think a, a lot of that really kind of came into perspective after the race when when you know you you look at the you know they showed me the list and they're like, you know, you look at the the list and the next one on there is is Dale Earnhardt senior. Hmm. And, you know, for for me that was um, you know, that was my my idol growing up or one of my idols growing up uh, and we watch when we watched stock car racing that's that's who you watched and and for me that's why I went to work at at RCR was to to race with with Dale and, and be on the same team and, and try to you know learn from from the things, but in the end I was also kind of a fan. So you know I think when when you look at that list of of people that are uh, around you on on the win list and and realize you kind of look back. I still have to laugh because I look I look at it and I'm you know I look back and remember going to the racetrack when I was racing late models. We didn't have a trailer. We had to borrow somebody's trailer after they dropped their car off the racetrack. We'd come back to the shop and get our car and then we'd leave the car in the shed after the race was over that night until they unloaded their car the next day and go back. And now you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, winning your, your 60th uh, cup race and at the, at the highest level of racing. So to me, I kind of have to, 
have to pinch myself because I don't I don't really go back and and look at that stuff very much. And but you know I think when when you got to that one and you hear so much conversation about the list and the things and sixty and what it means and all those things that that come with uh, the history of our sport, you have to kind of stop and say, all right, this has gone pretty good. So enjoy it and and do the the best that you can to enjoy the things that that come with it. You bet. Like I said, that is a massive number. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Kevin Harvick is joining us. Kevin, it's been a really fascinating year in the sense that there have been 16 different winners in the first 26 races of the season. It's only the third time in NASCAR history that that's happened. What does that tell you about this season and the field going into the playoffs? Well, I think this championship's wide open. You know, I think as as we've seen throughout the year, you know, there's just, you know, you can see teams find a little something that, that their drivers like or a driver likes and, and be able to find some success with it immediately. And, and you know, I think as, as we've gone through the season, I think, you know, you'd be a little bit misinformed if you didn't know that there was the possibility to have so many different winners this year because of the fact that there were so many unknowns with the cars um and all the things that were that were up in the air as far as unknown so you know going into the season i you know we we kind of had an idea for sure that that you know there were going to be weeks where somebody hit it and and you know they get a win and and then they kind of go away and but they're going to be in the playoffs because they you know they got to they got to victory lane and and man they got to got to 16 different winners this year so i don't know that i would have uh, ever guessed that it that it, that we had that many winners but you know i think that Still a lot to learn with the car. Still, still the opportunity for somebody to go out there and, you know, put ten weeks together with with something that they had prepared for the playoffs and just have to see what everybody has at this particular point. But I think it's wide open for sure. You know, to what you just said about the car, Kevin, do you feel like you found a good rhythm because it's taken a lot of time for everybody? Do you feel like you found a good rhythm with the new car? And you think maybe you're peaking at just the right time? We hope so. Yeah, that, you know that that's that's what we're banking on. You know, I think as as you talk about rhythm, I, I would consider myself a rhythm racer. And you know, everything that I've done for the past, you know, since 1993, for the first time when I got in a stock car, every, everything built up to something similar that you were going to race. Uh, you know, at the highest levels, and then all of a sudden, boom! One year, you know, twenty twenty second year of, of cup racing you get thrown this car that doesn't drive like anything you've driven doesn't shift like anything you've driven the pedals feel different the mirrors are electronic um you know all these different things that 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 come inside the car and the things that you feel are all of a sudden different so you have to immediately shift uh in into learning mode and, and be able to say all right tell me what we're doing differently than everybody else tell me what i'm doing differently than everybody else because we have so much data and so much information that, that we can look at. And we have so many engineers that can pull these pieces of information. And then it's up to you and, and your team as to what you do with all that and how you process it and, and utilize that. And, and with everything that we have in today's world, you have to be able to utilize the information and, and be proactive with it, or you're just going to get left behind because it's it's out there and available. And um, you're not going to be competitive if you, if you don't uh, figure out how to use all that. 
Kevin Harvick is joining us. So, Kevin, that said, one last thought. You've got the Southern 500 Sunday at Darlington. You are a two-time winner of the Southern 500. What are your thoughts going into this weekend? Well, we want to be competitive and, and you know, run up front. And, you know, I think, um, you know, for us in, in the past, uh, Darlington has been a, a great racetrack for us. It's been one that we've been very competitive at. And, and so this, this race is long. It's tough. This Darlington's always a, a very mentally and physically taxing race just because it's so difficult to drive and make laps by yourself and you just have to you have to pace yourself and do the things that it, that it takes to keep yourself in position so that you're around for that last hundred miles and and you know keeping yourself in position is keeping yourself on the lead lap not banging into the wall too many times and get your car tore up and not make mistakes on pit road and have good restarts and so there's a lot of layers to that but you know i think it's it's definitely one of those races where you know i think um having those experiences in the past and being able to uh, put yourself in a survival mode that is also competitive is, uh, you know, a fine balance and, and something that hopefully we can do a good job at. We are talking about the Southern 500 from Darlington Raceway. It's Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. He is the driver of the number four car for Stuart Haas Racing. He is Kevin Harvick. Kevin, great to have you on. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much and good luck this weekend. All right, Jim. Thanks for having me as usual. Jamal Crawford. Jamal, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm great, Jim. How are you doing? Good, dude. Good. I want to ask you another way, actually. You and I spoke earlier this year after you announced your retirement from basketball. Thing is, as we all know, you are never, ever going to be far from the game. So how is your life now as you've moved a little bit farther away from the game, or at least are not an active player anymore? What's that been like for you? It's been great. I've been coaching my son's team and uh, actually having a ball with that uh, just really digging deep and diving deep into that and, and really throwing myself into it. I need the, the kids needed me as a coach, but I may need them even more because going through that transition uh, period, you know, of not knowing and having that feeling that I should still be playing. It really allowed me to channel my energy somewhere else. And, and it's worked out great for me. So I'm doing that. And very, very excited about the upcoming season as well as doing a lot of TV stuff. I'm excited about that upcoming as well. Awesome. Jamal Crawford joining us. Now, Jamal, I'm not sure that – I just want to sidebar for a minute. I'm not sure you're as into this part of the conversation as I am, but I'm fascinated by this. I'm, I'm a huge phone guy, and I'm a BlackBerry guy from back in the day, and I <laughs> love talking to dudes, Jamal, who love the BlackBerry. In fact, I understand you from a technology standpoint. You were a two-way pager guy back in the day when we all had two-way pagers, and then you got the BlackBerry. What do you remember about getting your hands on a BlackBerry for the first time? It felt like a computer in my hands. It was unbelievable. I just moved to New York, going to the Knicks from the Bulls. And I remember I went to New York, and, uh, you know, all the guys there who I was friends with were laughing at me, like, what are you still doing with a, a two-way pager? Like, come on, you got to be more sophisticated. You can do emails and everything right from BlackBerry. And, and once I, I, I picked it up, I, I never really put it down. That keyboard just had me attached, and I, I loved having that BlackBerry. You know what it was, dude? It was the keyboard, the physical keyboard, and also the push email, which was incredible yeah. because they were the only ones doing that. So probably you can relate to this. I can remember, and I was absolutely addicted to the, quote, Crackberry. I remember when the iPhone came along, I said to one of my boys, hey, man, it's a toy. It's a toy. It's not a business phone. You got to be about the BlackBerry. But then you were a guy that stayed loyal to the BlackBerry, which meant that you could not be on the group text. I mean, what was that level of loyalty about? Like, what kind of jokes were guys saying when you were still holding on to it and staying loyal to it even then? Well, luckily, uh, they knew I was a great teammate, and I wasn't just trying to separate myself because I absolutely could not get the group text. And I used to have to have uh, team trainers or managers send me whatever they 
sent information wise as well, uh, just directly to me because I'm like, I didn't get it. I didn't get the information. I used to have to hit the rookies and have them make sure they sent it to me. And then just all the jokes I missed out on, they would talk about on the plane, like, yeah, that was funny. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm left out. They're like, yeah, you're not cool enough. You don't, you have a Blackberry. So they gave me a hard time with it, but they understood. So they knew I was loyal. Dude, dude, there's really something to that, man. Like, we're laughing about that, but there's something real, real to that. Like, you're connecting with your teammates. It's a way to communicate. Like, when I say to my kids now, Jamal, you, man, you got to get off the video games. And my kids say, Dad, you don't understand. This is how we communicate. This is how we communicate. And that's how that was back then. And then when you speak of loyalty, I'm going to change up now. There's the relationship you have with the city of Seattle. You've been running the Seattle Pro-Am for nearly two decades now. And this year, you had a player list, which included LeBron, Jason Tatum, Chet Holmgren, and more. Holmgren, Jamal, was ultimately injured early in that game against LeBron. What was your reaction when you saw him get hurt and then when the severity of the injury was announced a few days later? Yeah, when you first saw it, you didn't uh, know it was that severe, to be honest with you. It wasn't like anything that was dramatic. You know, he kind of limped off a little bit, but you didn't know. It was nothing like where everybody held their breath and everybody stopped because, you know, play continued. He tried to get up the court, and then he ended up coming out the game. But then when I heard about it, it was just, you know, it was disheartening because I know Chet. Chet's an unbelievable guy. He had just played a couple weeks earlier. He played last year as well before he went to Gonzaga, you know, and he just loves the game. He loves uh, the knowledge of the game. He loves being on that court. So you feel awful for him. And then you just, you know, check on him, his well-being, knowing he's okay. And it was just a freak injury. Like it was a freak accident. Um, I've seen people say, oh, it was because of the court or all oh, was because of, you know, his size, neither one is the truth. The truth is it was just a freak accident. It could have happened anywhere. And you just hate to see him go through it. If it was there, if it was in a private training session or anywhere, you hate to see injuries happen, especially uh, with a guy like Chet. Jamal Crawford joining us, you know, as a follow-up and to that point, Norman Powell told the Athletic, quote, injuries are a part of the game. If you're playing pro-am, pickup, Drew League, etc., I don't think the floor was the issue, end of quote. So what's your reaction, Jamal, when you hear people say that guys should not play in pro-ams, guys should not be playing pickup ball in the offseason because they might get hurt? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with that from my viewpoint. Just the fact that you can, I've, you know, I've gotten hurt before when there was nobody on the court, just training, you know, so things happen. You hate to see it happen. But, you know, just like if a guy was coming back from injury, let's say he was playing basketball and they're like, oh, yeah, I've been, you know, on the bike, I've been on the track doing this. There's no uh, preparation like playing basketball except actually playing basketball, you know, and actually doing the things it takes to be in the physical conditioning and the timing and the rhythm. And different guys get different things out of it. You know, some are just trying to find a rhythm. Some are using it for conditioning. Some are trying to stay sharp, you know. So uh, it's just so unfortunate because it really can happen anywhere. And, and people that know me know I hate even watching ankle sprains. Like, I won't even rewatch a play, even myself. Like, I hate injuries. So, it just sucks, but I know in the long run, uh, as bad as it was, I know it'll make Chet even stronger and better uh, going forward. He's he's accepting the challenge, and he, you know, we'll be here with him every step of the way. Jamal Crawford joining us. In fact, you played in some legendary pro-ams yourself, also Rucker Park runs. What are your favorite memories from those games as you look back? Just the energy the crowd provided. It, it felt like a moment that you were going through in real time. You know, you can't duplicate that. Uh, you know, you can take the Rucker and put it in, you know, a big arena or wherever else, but it wouldn't feel like the Rucker, you know, having the people, um, you know, hanging on the trees and climbing the fences just to see you perform and see that energy. You can't duplicate that. And 
uh, I will never forget those memories, and I hold on to them very fondly. Jamal, what about coming up in the Seattle Pro-Am? You went up against guys like Damon Stoudemire, Jerome Kersey, Cliff Robinson. What were those days like when you were a kid and taking on those guys? They allowed me to really solidify uh, that I thought I could make it. You know, being a 16-year-old kid, we all have the same dreams, especially if you're in sports. You want to make it to the highest level. Well, I was actually playing against those guys and had a lot of success, and they said, hey, you could make it. And they start actually giving me advice and giving me information and knowledge, and that was the most important thing. And I'm like, if I have pros telling me I can be a pro, well, I don't need anything else. I'm sure there'll be people who don't agree with them necessarily. You know, I'm just one of a million chasing their dreams. But with these guys, it gave me a different fuel, a different confidence, and it allowed me to lock in even more knowing that they said it's possible. So, you know, I just chased my dream, and it worked out, and I try to do the same thing for the next generation. It's tremendous. Speaking of the next generation, Jamal, you talked about how you're fired up for the coming year. What's it mean to Seattle to have one of your own, Paul Bancaro, as the number one pick in this year's draft, and what do you think about his game? It, it's been unbelievable because Paulo was just in high school two years ago. You know, so a lot of the kids here uh, can really resonate with, with his journey, you know, shooting some of the same gyms. Uh, playing for some of the same teams, doing some of the same things he did, walking the same streets. It's like, yeah, Jamal, you were here, you know, 20 years ago in high school, but this kid's here right now. We can reach out and touch him. He talks to us. And so it makes everything more tangible. Uh, I think it gives a different level of fuel for the younger generation coming up. And his game is just it's, – it's, it's beautiful to watch. He knows how to play, his understanding, his pace. Obviously, his mom played at a high, high level, one of the best, and she – had him in the gym early, you know, so he learned the fundamentals of the game and how to play the game and how to work and, you know, how to be a very cerebral player as well. It's just that he's grown into his body with that same knowledge, and that's why he's special. Jamal Crawford joining us. You know, Jamal, nobody – you're such a historian of the game itself, and you love the game. You recently were retweeting highlights from a battle that you and Dirk Nowitzki had in his final home game. You had 51 off the bench. He had 30. It was an amazing night. What do you remember about that night? I remember about the day, actually, Jim. It was just unbelievable. You could feel the energy, even at your hotel. The whole city was lit up blue. Uh, dirt posters and, and things were on every single corner. Uh, driving into the arena was just special. All the workers had dirt shirts on, or you just felt engulfed in it. You knew you were witnessing something legendary. And I remember that game, Gary Payton, Detlef Shrimp, uh, Charles Barkley, all the guys from Nike were there to surprise dirt. And I remember I told Gary Payton before the game, the layup line, hey, I'm going to have a big one tonight. Watch. And I didn't know it would be 50 points later, but I just knew I wanted to play well in Dirk's last home game. Uh, 51 points later, uh, Dirk being there, I, I went and had a ball boy actually go get my phone from the locker room. I'm like, I'm staying out here for the press conference, the post conference, just to be here because it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And Dirk actually, I didn't tweet this part, but Dirk actually gave me a jersey that night as well. And he said, to Jay Smooth. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. That's really cool. It's like, what did that mean to you? Like, he is such an amazing player and even a better dude. What did it mean to you to get that jersey from him? What, go ahead. Yeah, it solidified everything I thought he was, Jim. From a distance, he seems like the greatest guy. Like, he's not caught up in being Dirk Nowitzki. Like, he's just Dirk, you know, and he, he solidified that. He was really cool, really smooth dude. Um, saw him again in the finals this year when I was covering for TNT. And he's just a great, great guy. And that jersey means so much to me. So, Jamal, really quickly, before you go, Karan Butler is a guy that I've always really admired, really respected. He was on with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, and they asked him who he would take to the blacktop with him. He said Kobe, Jordan, Jackson, and Barnes is an enforcer, and you, and he would coach that team. How do you think that team would do, and then what did it mean to you to be included on that list? 
it meant everything, first off, because Tough Juice is, is one of the realest guys. He's a straight shooter, uh, has a lot of respect in the basketball community, a legend in the game, and now he's coaching. He sees everybody, right? He's a historian in the game as well. We used to always talk about that and talk about people that came before us and great players, a real basketball head. So him saying that caught me by surprise. I was really surprised by that. And then uh, when, when Jordan and I played together, we didn't lose a game against everybody. So given – Kobe and then Matt and Stack as well, we definitely wouldn't lose. It would definitely be a show. I wouldn't even shoot as much. I'd throw to Kobe and MJ the whole time. You know, Jamal, it's something because when you talk about Kobe, Kobe had so many different aspects to his game that were so amazing. But I know you had a particular appreciation for his footwork, something that not everybody appreciates. What was it about his footwork that made him so elite or the footwork itself? The footwork is the foundation for everything. I don't care if you're a boxer. I don't care if you're a football or any sport. Even if you're a dancer, the footwork is the foundation for getting you space. And Kobe could use his footwork. Like, I use my footwork to incorporate my handle. Kyrie, the same thing. Kobe uses his footwork to get space, to get his fadeaway, and, and to dominate on that block area and really control the game. So just his footwork is beautiful. Uh, you watch Akeem, you watch Michael Jordan, you watch Kobe. I would say those three have the most beautiful footwork I've ever seen. And I just always admired him, even though we were the same age or close to the same age. Uh, he was just like he was so much older because he was larger than life. And, and when you were around Kobe, he had that presence about him that you knew you were in the presence of greatness. That is the truth. So final thought, as you get ready for the coming season and you're excited about that, who are some of the young guys in the league right now who jump out to you as potentially special? Guys who catch your eye, young guys. Uh, John Morant, Trey Young, uh, LaMelo, uh, obviously Luca and the magic he possesses and uh, it's just so many great young guys, and I think the game's in a, a great, great place. But those guys are the ones that obviously everybody knows. I'll give you one a lot of people don't talk about, Darius Garland. He's really, really special as well, a pure point guard. So I love watching him play. Talk about special. 20 years in the NBA, three-time Sixth Man of the Year Award winner, 2018 NBA Teammate of the Year Award winner. I mentioned all the other credentials as well. Jamal, I really appreciate the relationship. It's always great to have you on the show. You make the show so much better. Thank you very much, and great talking to you again. The legend, Jim Rohn. I appreciate you. Good night now!